Do you want to wake up feeling like you're stepping into who you're meant to be, into the best possible version of you? What if I told you that the key to your best life, health, and happiness are all around you? You just have to find what works for you. I'm Hope Pedraza, and I believe that there isn't just one way to live a healthy and meaningful life, and that all you need is a little inspiration to make changes that last from the inside out. Each week, I'll be sharing tangible tips and inspirational interviews to help you on your journey. These are the steps to take to improve your life and live with purpose. This is Hopeful and Wholesome. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about bloating. <laughs> so exciting. Um, I, I, I find that when I talk to women, honestly, I can probably say probably say this honestly, that every woman, woman that I've talked to probably over the past at least few months, whether they work with me or not, they mention bloating as one of their symptoms. Like it doesn't matter what else you're talking to me about, whether it's their thyroid, their hormones, their gut, their energy, their sleep, like whatever it is, bloating is always a thing. And so because I just keep hearing this over and over, I thought, okay, this is something we got to talk about because it's, it's an issue. And not only because I mean, there's like reasons that it's happening, right? It can lead to other things, but it's, nobody likes to be bloated. It's super uncomfortable. I know I've talked to women where like the bloating is so bad. They like, I've had one send me a picture where she looks like she's like five months pregnant. Like she's that bloated and there's no reason to have to live like that. So let me tell you, first of all, that no matter what any other doctor, practitioner, person, whoever whatever they tell you. Bloating is not normal. You don't have to be bloated all the time. Common, yes. Um, but there are reasons. And I want to run through um, kind of like five or six of the main reasons that I see that bloating is happening and what you can do about it. Now, let me say this first and foremost to preface that the only way to know if really any of the things that I'm talking about apply to you and you know what I'm going to tell you, because I say it all the time, but you're really only going to know if you get the labs done, y'all. Like you're, you really, again, I'm all about tests, don't guess. So the only real way to know if it's happening is if you get tested and you get some functional labs done. So for me, it's usually a GI map. That's the, the big one to do with my clients that gives them like the really ends up look at their gut. It's going to tell you the good bacteria, the balance of good and bad bacteria. If there's yeast overgrowth, fungus, if there's parasites, other pathogens, uh, it looks for intestinal health markers, like how, how your food, fat, proteins been broken down, your gut's immune system. Like it's so in-depth and it's really the only way to know what's going on in, in your, in your body. Right. So that's probably the biggest one. But other than that, I'm, I still want to run through these. So you at least know what to look for. And there are some things that you can do now, just like generally speaking, even if you haven't done the labs that can help. So let's run through these. First is low stomach acid. Now this can happen for a variety of reasons. This can happen to, uh, for a lot of reasons, actually. And if you tend to get gas or bloating within like an hour or so after you're eating, after you eat, it typically means you've got low stomach acid. Um, your stomach is designed to break down your food. Just to give you an idea, your stomach is meant to be highly acidic. The pH is supposed to be around one and a half to two. And just as a reference, the pH of battery acid is 0.8. And the pH of distilled vinegar, like distilled just plain white vinegar, is 2.5. So your, your stomach acid is more acidic than battery acid, but then less acidic than vinegar. So it's supposed to be somewhere in between there. So if if, if you don't have enough stomach acid, it's not your food's not going to be broken down properly. And it just kind of sits longer in your stomach. And this is what 
starts to feed bacteria further down the road, which leads to bloating. Now, causes of low stomach acid. Okay, there's there's a lot here. Um, first of all, let's talk about medications. Specifically, when we talk about antacids or proton pump inhibitors, like like Prelisec, like things that are supposed to help you with, ironically, <laughs> supposed to help with like acid reflux and stuff, but it's messing up your stomach acid, right? It's lowering it too much. So it, it's kind of a catch-22 situation. Other medications too, like NSAIDs and pain relievers are, are shown, have been shown to mess with your stomach acid and um, can lead to low stomach acid. Now, here's the thing. When you have low stomach acid, Okay, let me actually start with talking about antacids because these are, I mean, there's a pass out like candy. I mean, you can go buy them over the counter, right? You can buy them anywhere. And if there are people chomp down Tums like they're candy because they have, you know, they have indigestion, they have heartburn or whatever. It's literally a multi-billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry, antacids. And most people really have no idea of the side effects. And when you take these on a regular basis, and the same thing with proton pump inhibitors, and I've had clients who are on prescription PPIs for things like GERD, uh, which is like really bad, you know, reflux, um, and, and just, you know, re- reflux in general that are on these, these prescription PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, and they have so many side effects. Increased risk of infection, first of all, because it's it's messing up your stomach acid. So now your body can't fight off things. When you have low stomach acid, you're already increasing your risk of infections and of of GI issues and GI infections and pathogens and parasites. It can lead to brittle bones because now it's leaching out things from your bones, nutrient deficiencies, um, protein, vitamin D malabsorption. Like there's so many things wrong with the acid. So please don't take them. There are other ways to help with your acid reflux and your, your heartburn if that's what you're using it for. Um, the, another cause of, of low stomach acid infections. Um, there's kind of, a, again, kind of a catch 22 thing going on here. Again, like I said, with the antacids and, inf- and infections, because insufficient stomach acid is going to open the door up to all types of bacteria and stuff growing in your body. And there's a specific in which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a second called H. pylori. That is a, it's an upper GI bacteria. It goes in your stomach and it actually destroys your stomach's ability to make acid while increasing your risk of stomach cancer. So it's one I find a lot in my world. I have a lot, a lot, a lot of clients who end up, we show H. pylori on their GI map. Um, another thing with low stomach acid is aging. So as the older you get, especially when you get over 40, your 40, 50s and 60s, your stomach acid is going to kind of drop over time, which is why, you know, as you get older, you hear more and more people as they get older, complain about heartburn and indigestion, all these things, because it just happens over time. So it's really a good idea to kind of assess your, your levels of stomach acid. So you know how it's functioning. Now there are ways you can do this. Um, one thing, if you could um, betaine hydrochloric acid, betaine HCl, um, and basically, uh, I have you can do kind of a test. You can do you can also do this with um, like water and baking soda. Basically, see how long it takes you to burp, um, and that's an indication if you have you know good stomach acid. But that but the betaine hydrochloric hydrochloric is betaine hydrochloric, not hydrochloric acid. Betaine hydrochloric, betaine HCl it kind of like primes the pump. It kind of um, helps you regain normal function. Now, I would say if you're going to take it, you start slow with it and kind of slowly increase it. Then once you kind of reach the level where you're, you feel kind of like you start to burp and you start to burp like 
it, it's not acid. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. It's not acid reflux, but you burp kind of a, there's a burning sensation going on. That's when you know, that's when you know you've hit, you've hit the right level, right? That's kind of a test to see. But again, you really should work with, um, you know, a practitioner, functional practitioner to understand like how much you should have, um, to know, you know, so you're not doing too much. So that's the stomach acid situation. I'm going to talk about some other things in a minute and how to help with bloating, but I, I want to just kind of go hit these, these big hitters first. So the other issue can be for bloating can be low pancreatic enzymes. So again, if you develop gas, uh, more than an hour after eating, then so, so typically if you if you get the gas within an hour of eating, it means it typically, and this isn't like a hard and fast rule, but typically it means that you have low stomach acid. If you're developing the bloating more than an hour after eating, it typically means you have low pancreatic enzymes. So these enzymes that come from your pancreas help you break down and digest all of your food. So they have, there's a lot of special, there's like a bazillion, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but there's a ton of enzymes that help some target carbs, some target fat, some target proteins. And they're made by the pancreas and then delivered to the small intestine where they are activated to help you digest all of your food. And basically this helps nutrients to be absorbed by the cells of your body. So everything's broken down into smaller bits, right? The protein's broken down into amino acids. Your carbs are broken down into glucose. Like it's broken down into all these smaller pieces so that your body can absorb all the things that it needs. When these levels are insufficient, then not only are you going to experience things like bloating, but it also affects your ability to absorb nutrients, right? So you're not absorbing things. So I find this a lot with women too, because this is something that I can measure with the GI map that they can be eating all the right things. And this happens so often, like I'm eating all the right things, but Hey, you're not absorbing any of it because your body's not breaking it down. Like that's a huge issue. So some things that can cause low pancreatic enzymes. Um, there's some like inflammatory diseases, right? Like, like autoimmune diseases can cause just kind of a malfunctioning, right? Um, things like different inflammatory bowel diseases, like Crohn's disease, celiac disease, things like lupus, all these can cause deficiency. Um, infections, right? I talked about infections before. Infections can also help this. And if there's, um, gut stuff, uh, infections in the gut, infections in the stomach, that's gonna, that's gonna cause issues. Medications, again, there are so many medications that are linked to low pancreatic enzymes. If you take things like, um, like tetracycline, like, like a birth control can be a huge one. Um, things for like depression, anxiety, um, over the counter pain medicines, all of these can affect pancreatic enzymes and alcohol consumption. And typically this is like with heavy alcohol consumption, but if, if you drink heavily and you drink, you know, or if you have a history of drinking heavily, then this is definitely something you want to address. You want to really take care of your pancreas and help rebuild uh, back up those pancreatic enzymes. And I'll tell you how to do that in just a second, but I do want to get through these first. So let's see. Um, for okay, another cause of bloating can be just infections, right? I'm talking about infections affecting your stomach acid and your enzymes, but just infections in general are going to cause enzyme imbalances, low stomach acid, um, and this can be infections of the stomach or the intestines, right? So <clears throat> H. pylori is one that I mentioned before, and this is a very common bacterial infection of the stomach and it's linked to low stomach acid. It can create symptoms like burping, bloating, 
um, nausea, burning on an empty stomach, and it really can be the cause of stomach ulcers and heartburn and reflux. And the clients that I have with H. pylori, some of them don't really have many symptoms. Some, they're just like, oh yeah, I do burp all the time. Like not necessarily, not necessarily like burping things up like acid, but like, oh, I do burp a lot. And then some have like heartburn reflux all the time. Like, and it makes per- perfect sense. But H. pylori has been linked to the use of NSAIDs, of, of anti-inflammatories, like, like, um, like over-the-counter drugs, right? Like Motrin, Advil, aspirin. So if you're taking these regularly, it it's really a good chance you're messing things up in your gut. I mean, there's we could go on forever about that, but we need to get to the root cause of where your pain is coming from so you can get off the regular use of all of these, right? Because it's just kind of perpetuating that cycle of of stuff going on in your gut, right? Um so in antibiotics, of course, which I know, yes, antibiotics are required in some cases, but if you can avoid the use of antibiotics as much as possible, it's, you know, it's going to weaken your gut. It's going to leave it susceptible to things like H. pylori and other infections, which is going to affect your gut, which can lead to the bloating that we're talking about. Here's another thing, thyroid imbalance. Um, now, one big symptom of hypothyroidism is constipation, right? Most people don't realize the, the the big connection between the gut and your thyroid, but your body makes a hormone called T4 that needs to be converted into the active form of T3. And this conversion has to happen in your gut. If the health of your microbiome, your gut microbiome isn't, if there's not a balance there, then this, this conversion isn't going to happen or it's not going to happen very um efficiently or effectively. So the same issues in your gut that are causing the gas and bloating are contributing to the malfunction of your thyroid. So if you have thyroid issues and you're bloated all the time, like these go hand in hand. So you really have to address what's going on in the gut. It's balancing out the good and good, bad gut bacteria, checking on your stomach acid, addressing those things. Now, another thing that can lead to the bloating is bacterial overgrowth. So your small intestine is where food goes to get broken down with the help of enzymes from your pancreas, right? And the bowel from your gallbladder. Your nutrients should then, should be absorbed into the bloodstream. And that's where they go to like, you know, they go to the right places. They nourish your body. Now, if there's a lack of digestive enzymes, the food sits too long in your small intestine and it starts to ferment and this causes bloating, right? It just sits there and ferments. Now, in a healthy gut, most of the bacteria is in your large intestine, but there's a lot of factors that can cause bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine. This is known as SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And this people who have this, where the buildup gets stuck in the small intestine can cause really severe bloating and distension. So most of my clients that have like the, like the serious distension, like the five months pregnant pictures, like SIBO is typically the issue. And, um, now it, it, it's going to slow, I'm trying to think of how to address this piece because first of all, you need to get tested. You can't diagnose yourself with SIBO. So you want to make sure you get tested and know that it's SIBO because if it is SIBO, there's a lot of things we can do with diet. Like we have to change some things in the diet, um, take out certain foods. There's certain, certain kinds of fibers and carbs that, that ferment more. So we have to really adjust the diet. Now it's not saying you have to adjust it forever because we know that fiber and carbs are healthy, but there's certain ones that are causing this, uh, there's kind of perpetuating the overgrowth, right? Um, one cause of SIBO really, if you want to talk about the causes of SIBO is slow motility, just meaning like the, the time it takes for you to get rid of stuff, right? Slow transit time. So it, everything's just kind of sitting there, right? And it, it's more 
time for everything to just kind of ferment and just kind of um, uh, like putrefy. And that's such a gross word, but it's really what it does. So, um, so yeah, if you're experiencing like really severe bloating and distension, you might want to look at getting tested for SIBO, getting a gut test to see if that's the case for you. So let's talk about how to address this. Okay. We talked about some of the causes. So first let's talk about like just the simple things you can do. First is mindful eating. And I know that sounds like so like frou-frou and like, I don't know, it sounds silly, but mindful eating is, is, is really, it really, it really is helpful because you're taking time to chew your food properly. You're taking time to like savor your food, your swallow, right? So you're giving your body time. Your digestion starts in your mouth. It starts with your saliva. Your saliva has all of these enzymes to help start breaking down your food. So when you're not taking the time to eat mindfully and eating slowly, swallowing, first of all, you could be swallowing a bunch of air if you're shoveling food in your mouth, but you're not giving your body time to break things down, right? So mindful eating is going to be a huge piece just to get started, right? taking, like taking your time, making sure, you know, you're taking some breaths, that kind of thing. Avoid drinking number two here, avoid drinking a lot of liquid with your meal, like large amounts of liquids with your meal. That's going to cause lead to more bloating, just filling your body up with more air and liquid. Now, the other thing too here, especially if, you know, if you're, if you're kind of on a healing process right now, like a healing journey and you're, and you're working on healing things, if you can really eat more cooked veggies than raw veggies, right? And not saying you can't ever eat raw veggies again, but because the cooking process is already kind of breaking things down a little more for you, it makes your body, it makes it easier for your body to break it down. It's really going to help. So if you find yourself getting bloated all the time, when you eat fruits and veggies raw, go to cooked, right? Eat your cooked veggies. Um, maybe if you're not eating like cooked fruit, but maybe if you're kind of breaking it down a little bit in a smoothie or something, be a little bit easier for your body to break down. But the veggies for sure. I find that a lot of my clients, like raw veggies can do a number on people that already suffer from bloating, right? Until we've got to the root cause. Of course, once we start to heal things, you can go back to eating raw veggies. Um, now here's another one. You want to really work to increase all the digestive juices in your body. So we want to eat things. You can do this with food. You can do this with supplements. Eating bitter and acidic foods like bitter greens. Bitter greens are great for this. Um, eating acidic things like apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar is a great way to help with digestion. If you can just do um, like a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar and water, like a, you know, like a glass of water, you can dilute it a little bit about 15 or 20 minutes before you eat this, this starts to stimulate the digestive process before you even eat. You can do it with lemon juice too, but I prefer the apple cider vinegar just because it has other like really good properties to it. Um, but this can be a good way to kind of prep your body for digestion. So that's a really good way to get started. Now, you can also take things like digestive bitters. Um, there's a lot of brands that I love. Dr. Shades number nine is one that I love. And that one you can get, and it's just like a spray. You just spray it in your mouth before you eat a couple of sprays. I don't remember this, two or three sprays or something. And that's a good way. Digestive bitters are great. Um, taking digestive enzymes. So like finding you a good digestive enzyme supplement. Now, there's a lot. Um, and you can supplement with HCL too, right? Like the actual, it's like, you know, what your stomach acid is made of. But I will say the caveat there with the HCL, if you're going to take it, first of all, you want to get tested to make sure you don't have H pylori because there's kind of a contraindication there where people with H pylori, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you shouldn't take stomach acid. We want to get rid of the H pylori, um, because it, it messes with your stomach acid already. And you don't want to throw like 
fuel the flames kind of thing. Um, so you definitely want to get tested before you just take stomach acid, but the, or HCL, but the, the enzymes can be helpful and those are good for additional support. Now, the other thing too, with your bloating is you really want to assess whether there's constipation that's like connected to it, right? So constipation is a thing and that's why you're bloated because constipation makes you bloated. Everything's just sitting in there. First, hydration, of course, hydration is going to be key. And we want to hydrate, but like I've said before, I know, you know what I'm going to say. You, you want to hydrate with not just plain water. We want to add minerals. We want to add electrolytes, um, adding some salt to the water. Because here's the other thing too. I didn't mention this with the stomach acid, but salt, sodium, salt, sodium is um, really important for healthy protein digestion. You need that in your stomach. It plays a part in the whole digestive process. And when I went, if you can go back and listen to my episodes about minerals, but I've talked before about um, sodium and how I find more often that with my clients, it's actually low rather than high. And with low sodium comes difficulty digesting protein, which makes you bloated. Bloating is linked many, many, I'd say, I don't know, I want to say the majority of the time, at least in my world, it's there's a link there to low sodium. So adding salt to your water can be a huge support, especially if you're constipated, can be a huge support there. Um, let's see, movement, of course, like that's going to help with constipation too, like moving your body, right? Moving your body is going to get things moving. Um, eating fiber from food. Of course, you have to be careful that the fiber isn't like at, again, throwing fuel on the fire, um, but eating fiber, magnesium can be helpful to help with constipation. Magnesium citrate especially is what you want to use for constipation. But again, I, I don't like to throw that out there too casually because I also want you to get to the root cause. Like just taking a bunch of magnesium isn't going to fix the problem. We want to figure out why it's happening. But that the the um the hydration can be a huge one for a lot of people. Hydration, the salt, all of that, add that in. Um, let's see the other piece here of addressing bloating is kind of, it, it kind of goes back to getting to the root of the problem, right? So if you have, um, if you, if you feel like you could be, you might have SIBO, you really want to get tested because you're going to want to get on a low FODMAP diet for, you know, a little bit of time to help your body kind of get rid of that bacterial overgrowth. Again, it's not forever. It's just since you can get rid of bacterial overgrowth. FODMAPs are just specific types of carbs that we want to avoid. That's kind of feeding the bacteria. And then you also want to get tested to see if you do have, you know, infections or parasites that are causing just kind of perpetuating the bloating situation, right? Um, all in all, though, if you want to just, you know, have things that you can do right now, the, the apple cider vinegar before you eat is a huge one. Bitter greens, adding, so think like dandelion greens, kale, watercress, like all of those are really good at simulating digestive enzymes and, and promotes really healthy bioflow, which helps with digestion. Um and then just as far as like cooking things. So if you're cooking like grains and legumes, um, even, even nuts, I mean, a lot of experts talk about soaking your nuts. I don't really soak my mine when I eat them, but, but for sure the grains and legumes pre-soak and that helps get rid of phytic acid, which is considered an anti-nutrient, but, um, and phytic acid and lectins, which can cause things like bloating, it, it breaks those down. So they're more digestible and it's, much easier on the body. So if you're soaking, um, I have read so many different things. A lot of experts say you should soak your beans for like three or four days. As far as grains and stuff, I think 24 to 48 hours is usually enough to so soak them, rinse them off, you know, but do that with all, whether it's quinoa, milk, like whatever it is you're cooking, soaking is really going to help the digestive process. The mindful eating piece, of course, that I talked about. Um, and then if you want to get yourself a good 
probiotic can help. Um, there's a few like lactobacillic strains that can be really good against bloating, some bifidobacterium strains that are good against bloating. So if you want to get some strains specifically bifidobacteria and some lactobacillus, usually those, that's a safe bet. Um, and then the digestive enzymes moving and then just addressing the root cause, right? So all of those you can start doing now and you can start implementing now to address those I know it's frustrating. I know how uncomfortable it can be. So again, that's kind of what I, do. I wanted to do this episode. So, so you really had some tools to take with you to start addressing now. And then of course, if you want to find a practitioner to help you with some lab testing to really see what's going on, that's always, always a helpful bit of information. But other than that, try these out. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts and I'll see you on next time. Thanks for listening to Hopeful and Wholesome, y'all. If you found value in this week's episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review to let me know what you thought. I'd love to know what you find useful in these episodes so I can know how to provide the most value I can to my listeners. And if you have topics you'd like to know more about, I'd love to hear those as well. So shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's at the Hope Pedraza, or you can visit my website, hopefulandwholesome.com. Thanks, y'all.